I've got to admit something. Uh, last week, Pastor Jeff, during announcements, said that I could bring the word. And then Pastor Ian this morning said, one of my favorite preachers. And so what I'm trying to hopefully not be this morning is like that guy that's never been to In-N-Out and everybody's like, In-N-Out's so great. And the first thing you do is you go to California and you take a bite of an In-N-Out and you're like, well, I mean, it's good, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be reduced to a trip to the West Coast and a, and, and, and a moment at, at In-N-Out. What I want to do, and with all seriousness, is I want to lift high the name of Jesus this morning. That, that is what I want to do. This, this time of year is so precious. It's so precious for the believer, for the one that put their hope in Jesus Christ, for the one that has, has, has asked Christ into their heart and believed with their heart and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. This, this is our week right here to rejoice. It's our week to remember it's our, it's our week to lift him high like, like no other week in the year. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to express ourselves in worship through the word and then express ourselves again in worship this morning in just a few moments. Putting Jesus on his rightful throne. Acknowledging the reason why he came. That's who we want to be. That's the people we want to be this morning. Hopefully, we can get there. So when I begin to look at this, uh, the different and various texts around Palm Sunday, around the triumphal entry of Jesus, I realize that we could honestly probably do six weeks on this topic alone. And we didn't have that. We just got a few minutes. And so what, in that, what I, what I saw in this text is I saw Jesus being worshiped the day before I saw him worship the day of, and I saw Jesus declare who he was. And so I figured, man, let's just do that. Let's stick to that. So if you are new with us in the house, it's just a little bit different this morning. We're just doing a little bit of a different thing. Next week is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We invite you back for that. But this morning, in this season, and this day, when we start getting geared up and sometimes we can get distracted, distracted with bunnies and chocolate things and those terrible marshmallow ones. Somebody, yeah, I knew somebody was gonna be like, don't do that. It's like, to put it into perspective and to really grab a hold of it and say, no, this is about a risen lamb that was slain and a coming lion, King Jesus. So before we jump into the text, which will be out of Matthew 21 and we'll go one through 17 this morning, we're gonna we'll just look at the beginning of a story in John 12 and this would be the day before the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, into Jerusalem. And Jesus had made his way to Bethany or Bethpage, which is just east of Jerusalem, to eat at Lazarus' home with all his sisters, or with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This was the night before, again, of the triumphal entry. And then this is the same Lazarus that he had raised from the dead in John 11. So they're at a dinner table, and it says Lazarus is sitting there, which is great. 
But it, I mean, it just boggles your mind that this guy was dead just recently. Jesus raised him from the dead and now they're sitting there eating. And you know, Jesus in scripture, you see very often that when he heals somebody and when he does a miracle, he tells them, hey, don't tell anybody. Jesus had made it his, kind of his ministry to try to keep as quiet as possible till it was a time for him to announce himself. But because of this Lazarus situation and all of the people that saw that, there was beginning to build a multitude of people who wanted to see him. And they were actually excited and wondering, is he gonna come to the Passover feast in Jerusalem in just the coming days? So we're gonna talk about that dinner party in a little bit. But first, let's take a look at Matthew 21, one through 17. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude, now you're going to hear that word quite a bit here, multitude means a lot of people. In fact, if you just kind of reduce it, one of the words is mob. There's a lot of people who are excited in this situation. Spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse nine, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple, verse 12, of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to see him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, what's new, and said to them, said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? And then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we need you. God, we need you to see your word come to life. We need you in our lives. So Holy Spirit, have your way this morning. We give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Mr. Jerry, that is some fine water. Thank you. I see three things that we see in, uh, in this context or in this text that I just want to bring to context that, that Jesus 
had went through what he did, what the people did, and I wanna bring that to life. And I just wanna go through just a little bit of a Bible study with you before we jump back into that dinner party. The first one is this, Jesus declared who he was in this text. Jesus declared who he was with every action and every word he was saying, I am the son of God. Now being in the Hebrew world that he was, the Jewish world that he was, this was a, this was a direct contradiction to anything that any normal person would do. Because anytime this happened, somebody would be killed for it. And so with every action and every word he's saying, I am the son of God, no more quiet time. Jesus is getting loud with who he is. This, in verse four, the issue of riding a donkey into town, because they were Jewish, because they knew the scriptures, this right here was a model of what was to come from the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. In verse 12, Jesus claimed the temple as his house. This temple was built for the worship of God and he's claiming it to be his house. Isaiah 56, seven. Many of you know this. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And in verse 16, in response to the indignant priests and scribes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Psalm 8-2, Jesus is saying, I have the right to be praised as God because I am God. Number two, the people declared who he was. So number one, Jesus declared who he was with action and word. Number two, the people declared who he was. With every action and word they spoke, they declared he was their savior. Verse eight, laying their garments and branches on the road. Garments were, it's like an ancient homage. It's reserved for royalty. This would be something that they would lay out on the road. And in this case, believing that he was a political savior, that he was the one that was going to uh, take away their, their, their entrapment of Rome. And they believed Jesus was that person, uh, the, 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 their prophet the soon coming savior would do that deed. And they laid this out in front of him so that he could walk over it. The palm branches, they symbolize joy and salvation. It's, it's also something that we see in the future. It's a prophecy from Revelation 7, 9 to Christ as our earthly and eternal savior. Verse nine shouts from the multitudes, Hosanna, save now. To the Son of God, or Son of David, acknowledging Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. This is important because in those days, Hosanna was saved now. And the Greek and Hebrew share this same word, even though it's not a Greek word, it's a Hebrew word. And so when they're saying save now in that context, what do we say now when we say Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest? We're actually, the, the word has moved over the centuries to. He has saved, and we're rejoicing that he has saved. The people quoted Psalm 118 in that uh, text, Hosanna to the son of David, acknowledging Jesus' claim. In Psalm 118, save now, I pray. O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Again, 
scripture coming from the people's mouths. Scripture coming from Jesus' mouth. There was a prophetic moment happening in Jerusalem that day. Jesus coming in on this donkey. The stuff coming out of the people's mouths. Now this is where, and this has been spoken twice today, the famous account from Luke 19, 39, and 40. And some of the Pharisees, I love how it says some. Some of the Pharisees, like are some of them starting to get it? Are some of them starting to understand what's happening here and really contemplating? And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Here's the hardest part of this whole thing. Is that these multitudes, these people that were rejoicing, and these people who were praising, these people who who were declaring who Jesus is, so many of these would be the same people that turn on him in just a few days. And I don't know what that is about the human condition to where we can be so adamant on propping something or some, something up and just going, and then turning on it the very next day. I don't understand what that is. They were so certain, and what they're about to see in just a few minutes should solidify it even more for them. But yet they turn on him. The third point would be Jesus declares all are welcome in his house. You see, the way the temple worked, there would be an outer courtyard for the Gentiles. So many of us in this room who are not Jewish, we are the Gentiles. So anybody who is a Gentile could go in the the outer portion of the temple. And then there was another section for Jewish women. And then they couldn't go any further than the next section, which would be for Jewish men and then priests, etc. So these three different areas... And then Jesus has this moment where he quotes Isaiah 56 and 7. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. He doesn't specifically go into the all nations, but he quotes the text. And then he does something that just shouldn't happen. Did you know that the blind, the lame, the sick, they weren't allowed into the temple? And Jesus after he turns over all the money changers and the people selling merchandise for the sacrifice, let me explain what the money changers were doing. Roman currency was the currency of the time, but the only thing accepted in the temple would be Jewish currency. And like if you've ever been to Mexico or out of the country and you make a currency exchange, they put a little percentage on there for the pocket, they were putting high percentage on it and Jesus was having none of it. And so in verse 14, he invites the blind in to his house, the lame into his house and he begins to heal them. He begins to do what Jesus does. He said, my house is for all people, for all nations. This is you, this is me. We have been invited And some of us know this, some of us don't. You have been invited into the house. And this is what I need to say to somebody in this room who's just walking in shame, who's walking in guilt, and you can't come any closer to Jesus. He's saying, I have crossed the line. I flipped the table. I've invited you in. And I will will save you before I fix you. 
And that is something that we have to gather and understand. And then we celebrate, why? Because our soul is important. Our eternity is important. And we were talking last night, Pastor Ian and I and, and Isaac, and, and we were just sitting around and, and Isaac said that thing. He just said, I just don't know if we value our soul. That's a fear of God issue, but not the proper fear of God issue. Jesus saved us one time for all time. And he said, all men can come to me. He justifies us. Pastor Ian talked about that in Romans just a few weeks ago. He is just as if I had not sinned. I don't continue to sin. I, don't try, I try not to sin, but he has justified us. There is no shame for those that are in Jesus. And we have to start to understand that. You can come in today even. Now listen, it's important that we, we grab that and we calculate that, but I want, what happens the rest of the week? What does Jesus kind of go through? Well, we see that Jesus exposed himself as the son of God by coming to Jerusalem. He was on the clock now. We saw that he cleansed the temple. Jesus wept over the city that week. Jesus healed many. Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. He installed the Lord's Supper. He had that meal with his disciples that he could not wait to have. And essentially tells them, we're not gonna have, I'm not having this meal again till you're with me in paradise, right? Jesus serves his disciples, washing their feet in humility. He demonstrates to us what it looks like to walk out an example of him. Jesus prays. He prays so hard. Jesus was denied after he was arrested by his beloved Peter. Jesus is tried. He's mocked. He's shamed. And he's beaten. Jesus is nailed to a cross out of love for you and I. It's hard to love ourselves when we don't realize how much God loved us. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. God loves us. He loves you. See yourself in the mirror right now. In your mind's eye, just God loves you. If you were the only person ever created, Jesus would have done this task just for you. And you have to understand, you have to gather, you have to accept the love of Jesus for yourself. Now listen, we'll go back to this incredible story at this little dinner that seems to be, um, Jesus seems to be the guest of honor. It's in John 12. We'll read from it here. John 12, three through eight. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had money box, and he used to take uh, what was put in it. 
Verse seven, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. There's three things that I saw very quickly and we're gonna get ready to go into worship here. Three things that I saw in this that, that I think are really important. Mary's worship is sacrificial. It, it legitimately cost her something, a year's wage. This oil would have cost her a year's wage. It, monetarily, worship can cost something apparently. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's, it's kind of just getting over our moment, it's letting pride down and humility arise to get in front of our savior and give him what is due him. We live in a culture right now where worship has kind of turned into I worship instead of I worship. And we have to be so careful with that line. But Mary, it cost her something and she went in. The second one is she worshiped even though she was shamed and mocked. Judas, of course, you know, stands up and he's got some, something really incredibly bold and profound to say. And Jesus, of course, rebukes that. But nonetheless, how do you think that made Mary feel? Have you ever been in a situation where you're standing alone for Jesus and stones have been cast in a way? Or maybe you've been in a church setting before where you feel like you really need to enter in and something, someone was in your sightline or that you were in their sightline and they didn't like what you were doing. There's context for everything. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that when we're shamed, we worship through the shame. She worships through the shame. The third one is in her culture, in the context of her life, for a Jewish woman to let her hair down in, in a public situation would be completely out of line. She worshiped beyond her religion. She worshiped beyond her context. She worshiped beyond her culture. Mary went all in. You see, there's something about Mary that we see in scripture. Three times we see her at the feet of Jesus. Soaking it all in, begging for his grace, and now in worship, in adoration. There's something about her where I just feel like she got it. She understood what Jesus was really all about. She believed every word that he said. She knew that he was going and it would be some time before she would see him again. There, there, there's no way she was there for every miracle that he did, for every word that he spoke, for every parable that came out of his mouth, every teaching he laid in front of the 12. There's no way she was there for all of that. She wasn't there at the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. But I'm telling you what, she didn't rely on any of that. She had transformation. Her life was transformed by Jesus. And she went all in. I wish that I was a little bit more like her. And she did it because she knew Jesus would be nailed to a cross. She knew that he loved her and she loved him. Speaking of God's love, the great Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, had a real heater on this topic. It's a little bit long, but we're gonna, we're gonna read it. 
And you gotta remember in the context of the 1800s, some of us have similar stories. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He loved us when we were still sinners. Every man that was ever saved had come to God, not as a lover of God, but as a sinner. And then believe in God's love to him as a sinner. Jesus loved you when you lived carelessly, when you neglected his word, when the knee was unbent in prayer. Ah, he loves some of you when you were in the dancing saloon, when you were in the playhouse, ah, even when you were in the brothel. He loved you when you were at hell's gate and drank damnation at every draft. He loved you when you could not have been worse or further from him than you were. Marvelous, O Christ, is thy strange love. Only Charles Spurgeon can put it like that. Make this week about Jesus right in front of you. I know it's gonna be tough. Distraction is gonna come from every angle. That's what happens. It's life. We We gotta navigate that. But get him in front of you. A lot of people during this week, they'll, they'll take time and they'll fast. And when they're hungry, they'll think about Jesus' sacrifice. Maybe Friday, good Friday, you, you would, you, maybe you fast, I don't know. Maybe somebody in the room today gets off Facebook this week. And don't let all of that get in you, right? I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, let's just not let it, let's think and worship Praise and honor King Jesus this week. Y'all, it's gonna be awesome. Heaven, next Sunday. Oh man, come on. Get all over you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So Father, we give you honor and we give you glory. We thank you for your son, Jesus. His triumphal entry begin the movement that changed the world, that changed my life, that changed so many lives in this room. And so, Father, we give you praise. We give your son Jesus praise, he who sits at the right hand. And we thank you. We honor you. We glorify you. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. And all of the redeemed said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Hey, y'all have a great week. Go with the Lord.